With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. E-S-N-Y. So now, clearly, clearly, Allison is not here because we're having some technical issues. Um, Allison is not available today, but luckily, in advance, we had planned out to have our stats genius, which is better than stats guru, uh, at Emily <laughs> Nyman, uh, Max Greenfield, join us. So this is episode 87 of the Bleacher Creatures Yankees podcast presented by Elite Sports New York, Crossing Broad, Warwick Gaming, and XL Media. As always, brought to you by Rivercrest NYC. Uh, Max, how are we doing? We haven't talked in a while. Uh, I'm doing, you know, as well as one could, uh, you know, being cooped up in these times in my effort to get Steve Cohen to notice me to potentially give me a job on Twitter. But, you know, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm good. Yeah, man. I've been I've been towing that company line with you every time I see you <laughs> try to reach out to Steve Cohen. I try to remind him that you invented your own pitching war stats. I can't believe he hasn't noticed yet. I, um, I don't know what it'll take. I, I've got every time I do it, I get like five to 10 people to join me in the, in the effort to get him to notice me. And I don't, I don't know what else I could be doing at this point. No, I mean, he even he responds to people too. I don't get it. I know. I don't, I, on Twitter. It's so yeah. random. Like <laughs> I feel like I'm doing everything I can. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, he'll notice eventually. Maybe we'll just have to we'll start tweeting at the players. Marcus Stroman, he's pretty active on Twitter. Maybe we yeah. just tell him about all these new stats. Uh, maybe you create a new stat that just so happens to have Marcus Stroman as the best pitcher in the league. Uh, you just sugarcoat the numbers, and it ends up with Marcus Stroman being the best, and that'll get his attention, I think. <laughs> you know, what was funny is I was going to— uh, I was going to write an article about Marcus Stroman saying how, well, he didn't pitch in 2019. So there's some questions about like what he's going to do and everything. And then somebody on Twitter asked him about like what he was going to do. And he basically answered all the questions. And I was like, well, this, this makes well, my article. article. <laughs> you just killed my article. I've been on the receiving end of that a few times. I've gotten like 600 words into an article only to have some new news breaks that just completely destroys the entire purpose of what I was writing an article about. I'm like, yeah, this, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> you'll be like, these are some potential trade targets. And then all of a sudden, like two of them go somewhere else. And you're like, well, never mind. Uh, yeah, we got nothing yet. Marcus Stroman. I, I, I kind of flip flop on Marcus Stroman a little bit. I like him a lot, but when, I mean, he so clearly wanted to be on the Yankees and when they didn't trade for him, he was so salty about it. I'm just like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I like him. He's great for the game. He's a good pitcher. But I don't really like his attitude. The way after the Yankees, after the Yankees didn't take him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Marcus Stroman is extremely confident in himself. And as a pitcher, as as any professional athlete, I think you have to be right. Like, oh yeah. If you're not confident in yourself, then you know you're not going to make it. Uh, you know, some people are more open about their confidence than others, and Stroman seems to be that way. 
I think he's overall still like good for the game because he's like open about his training methods. He's open about how he plans to pitch and what he does pitching wise, grip wise, and stuff like that. And that's good. Uh, how he is as a person, you know, as long as you're not going out and attacking people on Twitter or making jokes that are insensitive or like taking some forever, agent pitchers. yeah, or taking forever to sign for a place while your agent is caught in the middle of trying to defend somebody who's dealing with sexual assault allegations. I would say you're okay. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that always goes back. Uh, Marcus Stroman grew up on Long Island, uh, as did I. Nobody, please don't hold that against me. It's not my fault that I grew up on Long Island. Um, <laughs> but I, I've played with guys who played against Marcus Stroman in high school, and they were like, oh, yeah, everybody in the league hated this guy. Not because he was a dick, but just because he knew that he was that good. And, like, he was just, he just was that good. Pitching, shortstop, hitting. Like, he was yeah. just so He's much a- more talented than everybody else, and everyone hated him for it. He is a phenomenal athlete. It's it's. I think people underrate how good of an athlete he is. He's going to – I mean, this isn't Yankee related, but I am really interested to watch him pitch because he said he tweaked his four-seam fastball. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I just really don't like sinkers. Like, like it's just not – unless you're like Zach Britton or – uh, Jordan Hicks or something who just gets like really great and unreal movement on the pitch. I just don't think it's like worthwhile to throw at all. No. And, and the, the hitting perspective has changed a little bit. The sinker yeah. approach used to work a lot better than it does now. And now hitters have trained themselves to go down and get that low ball and still yep. be able to lift it. So it's they, just, it's not an effective pitch anymore for most it's, guys. It's I, the Dodgers are weird because they, they take, you know, they have three guys who throw sinkers and may trying and, and uh Brewster Gratterall. Uh but they all throw it hundred miles an hour. So it's a little Yeah, bit it's not, not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Stroman he's sitting like ninety one, ninety three, and it's like it can still be effective, but it's just unless you're getting like elite movement on it, don't throw it, in my opinion. Uh and Stroman, he's redeveloping his four seam fastball. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Um you know, I think there's a lot of things about like 2020 that were just, you know, such a small sample size, right? But there's so many pitchers out there that like did some really weird and interesting things, and I just want to see how real that is. Yeah, got to keep the spin efficiency above 80%. I know that's a pet peeve of yours. Yes, please. Uh, it's just, fastballs that have bad spin efficiency. Sometimes it's because they're purposely cutting the ball. Uh, like Tyler Glass now, you know, they talked about that a lot when he was every every start. Oh, like, my God. You know, Especially in the postseason. Fastball. Oh, did you like, know his fingers got messed up and he can't just throw a fastball straight anymore? No, you didn't mention it 10 times yesterday. Yeah. Like, so it gets talked about a lot with Glass now how he intentionally cuts the ball. And so like that, that cut creates what we call gyro spin, which is, you know, like a football, how it like spirals. Right. Mm-hmm. That's gyro spin, basically, is it's that kind of movement, which decreases your uh, spin efficiency and creates sort of force of gravity pulling down on the ball. If you're listening to this and don't understand that, don't worry about it. Basically, just Tyler Glass now cuts the ball. It decreases the spin efficiency. Some pitchers do that. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, in fact, you relatively shouldn't unless you're getting like great movement on the ball or enough movement. But uh, if you're throwing a four-seam fastball, you want that spin efficiency to be as high as possible. Absolutely. And that's uh, one of the reasons that Allison and I wanted to have you on this week. You completed a a driveline certificate for pitch design. And we wanted to learn all about that because pitching is like the the way that I get into pitching is 
just hell on my friends who just want to have like a casual baseball conversation. (laughs) And then I'll just be like, well, when you think about it, when you think about a four seam fastball and you throw it higher and you have this high spin rate, it actually gives the appearance of it. They hate it. They hate it so much. They regret asking me any questions. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you're right. You're, you're, you're actually really right. So like Garrett Cole, he's known for having a high spin fastball, B great spin efficiency and C throwing it up in the zone and a lot up in the zone like he throws that pitch up in the zone like 70 percent of the time or something it's nuts like he's like i'm really only going to throw this pitch in like three different spots and you're gonna have to hit it and he goes if it's not in that spot it's gonna get hit and it's gonna get hit hard uh which is you know fair he's throwing 98 miles per hour and he leaves it right down the middle like yeah he's gonna do pretty easy to turn that one around yes very easy uh but like that's you know in 2019 on baseball savant they have a new run value metric for pitches to see how valuable a certain pitch was per se. Uh, and his fastball was the most valuable pitch in baseball in 2019, which makes perfect sense. Like he got so many strikeouts, he throws it up in the zone and that's not every fastball is going to be like that. Uh, but the closer you can get to that, uh, the better. Definitely. Yeah, it's a pretty good strategy for any young pitcher coming up through the system. Just try to model your fastball after Garrett Cole. That's basic 101 pitching. <laughs> if you can if you can create the spin to model it after Garrett Cole, then you then you should. It's not necessarily like I I think it's interesting like somebody like Josh Hader, right? You think of Josh Hader as a guy with like a great fastball, right? Because he gets really good results on it, but his spin is really not that good. Like it's it's in the low 2000s, which is just unusual, especially considering like a guy like Garrett Cole is in the upper 2600s, 2700s with his fastball. So the fact he gets like such low spin, but pretty good spin efficiency, but still throws it up in the zone is uh, unusual. Like if I were coaching a player and they had that, I would tell them like, you know, you get good spin efficiency. You can throw it up occasionally, but you would rather keep the ball down because your pitch just isn't going to create that rise that you were talking about. Right. Um, so it's weird, but it's, you know, it's all like finding what works best for the player, which was sort of the driveline certificates point was like, these are the general things you can do in the general pitch types, but it's all about what the player feels, what they're like going for. And uh, I'm putting out an article tomorrow that talks about uh, Masahiro Tanaka's slider because it's, it's weird. So sliders are pretty heavy into gyro spin. They rely on that force of gravity a lot. So you're going to see sliders with spin efficiency of like closer to, you know, 35% and below. Like that's pretty standard for sliders. Some guys are unusual. Like Adam Adovino gets a lot of spin efficiency on a slider because it sweeps. Uh, You know, it's got a lot of movement. Terrible location because he can't control where it's going. But like it gets a lot of movement. Whereas Tanaka, his spin efficiency on his slider was about 17%, which gets closer to what we call a gyro slider, which is relying more heavily on downward movement than glove side movement. And I thought that was interesting because in 2019, his slider was like the third best slider in baseball by Savant's run value metric. And it was pretty heavy arm uh, glove side movement. And he decreased it and went to more drop. And it was actually like peripheral wise better than it was in 2019 didn't have the same success so if the yankees bring him back uh which i don't know what they'll do i'd be curious to see how that plays out too yes and that uh springboards us into the real topic of conversation here 
Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The Yankees pitching staff is some pretty deep shit right now. <laughs> there, and we're looking for a way out. There's a lot of question marks there. Like, it, in essence, like, if you had told me hypothetically that the Yankees pitching staff would actually perform well in 2021, I would believe you. Like, I would say, that's possible. Like, you know, there's a lot, there's a high ceiling to the pitching staff. Because as it stands now, your playoff rotation most likely is Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Jordan Montgomery, and then maybe a fourth spot for either Debbie Garcia or Clark Schmidt. Schmidt and Garcia have really high ceilings, like really high. There's a lot to like there, especially considering Garcia's walk rate, which had been considerably like in the teens when he was in the minors. Like he could strike 40% of hitters out, but he would walk you know, 13% of hitters. And it was like, all right, he gets strikeouts, but he'd also get a lot of walks too. And so you kind of got to live with that. The strikeouts weren't there necessarily in 2020, but he was getting swings and misses and he was not walking guys. So that, that was nice. That was good to see. Overall, I thought Garcia pitched relatively well. Like I liked what I saw from him in 2020. Should you feel comfortable him being your like number three on opening day? Probably not just because that's just so much risk involved in that. Uh, you know, internally, like they have Domingo Herman coming back, who, whatever you want to say about who he is as a person, not good. Uh, He's also been know, getting lit up in the Dominican League. Yeah, he got, he pitched pretty bad in the Winter League. You know, it's also like that was his first time pitching in quite literally, uh, you know, like a year plus, you know? Mm-hmm. So there is that to it. Uh, there's going to be some kinks to work out. There, he does have, you know, he struck a lot of guys out. He didn't walk too many guys. Um, he did have a home run problem, uh, you know, as a lot of Yankee pitchers seem to do. Uh, but hypothetically, it would not shock me if he still had like around a four or sub four ERA if you were getting 20 to 25 starts during the season. Like he still got good stuff potential to be good should he be playing baseball i don't know that's not a question i can answer should he be on the yankees they have a role this chapman on the team he's not going anywhere like that's all i can say about that um it's I just mean, not someone i'm going to actively be rooting for yeah but I, you also understand yeah, yeah this guy is a professional pitcher who can help an organization because he's so good on the mound so yeah he's going to get a job in baseball yes it's, it's a whole other ethical dilemma to decide should he yeah I'm not here to answer should he or not. Like, trust me, I wrestle with it. People who follow me on Twitter will know that I wrestle with it and I talk about it very openly about how it's not an easy topic to discuss. Uh, but I can tell you very confidently that he will be making starts for the Yankees in 2021. Whether they sign pitchers or not, Domingo Herman will be making starts, most likely. Or he will, on the very least, be in in the bullpen on the team. Yeah, and I think the word that keeps coming up is potential, which is the last thing that Yankees fans want to be hearing right now because this is a playoff caliber team. The offense is one of the best in Major League Baseball. Still the best in the American League. Yeah, still the best in the American League, and you are going to have a little bit of an easier path to the playoffs this year now that the Rays are kind of imploding. Uh, which yeah. they do every year, which uh, <laughs> somehow they're going to come up word, with. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow they're going to come up with a bunch of new prospects who are just like, yeah, this guy throws four innings for us every three days and he never gives up a run because it's just yep. the fucking raise. Um, but that's uh, the potential is not what you want to hear. <laughs> no, if you're I mean, if you're a Yankee fan, right, you want to win. And that's they're they're there. The offense is there. I mean, 
if if fully healthy, right? If you know their offense contains Gary Sanchez, who I think is due for a big bounce back, Luke Voigt, who you know he led the American League in home runs, one of the top 15 hitters in baseball. Uh, even if they don't bring back DJ LeMahieu, I still think they do. I think you know that it just makes too much sense. But even if they don't, they still have Glaber Torres and they have potential signings that they can make to fill DJ's hole. Giro Rochella has emerged as, uh, I think, a top 10 third baseman in baseball. Um, I think you can say to say that his offensive improvements are legit. Um, in left field, even if they don't re-sign Gardner, Clint Frazier has more than earned playing time there. I mean, he just looked, he looked like Clint. a completely different player. Like, this is a this is a very pro-Clint podcast. Yes, it, it is a very pro-Clint po- I mean, I had my doubts just because you know me, I really like guys who walk and hit the ball hard. He hit the ball hard, but he didn't really walk before. And mm-hmm. obviously the defense, you know, it spoke for itself. Uh, but in 2020, he looked defensive metrics are fluky in small sample size, but he just looked better. Yeah, you could you could see that uh, going back to his concussion problems. He was always saying like this, not a decision. You know, he's got the foot speed. He can make good jumps. He's got a good arm. It was just decision making. Yeah. And and he was his depth perception is off because of the concussion symptoms. But this year he's finally like he feels good. He thinks he has everything under control. And you just you saw the difference even on plays. Allison always brings up this play. Uh, It was a single hit to right field. And Clint Frazier, it was in, it was a gapper, but Clint Frazier dives and snags it off a bounce, which is an impossibly tough play to make to keep the runner yeah. on first base. And then the next guy hits a double, and that runner only makes it to third base, just directly saving a run. Yep. that It's stuff like that that doesn't show up in the box score, that shows up in the defensive metrics of, like, that was a great play by Clint Frazier that probably, you know, if the Yankees don't give up a run right there, Clint Frazier is a big reason why. And his defense was just so much improved that I think the Yankees can afford to not re-sign Gardner or trade Talkman if they re-sign Gardner. That, oh, thank God Allison is not here to hear you say <laughs> they might not re-sign I don't know, Brett Gardner. I've, I still think if, if he's playing, I, I mean, I think he goes back, right? Like, him and Cashman just... They, very openly has admitted that he loves Brett Gardner. Uh, so if he goes, if he plays again, then he's going back. But even if like he retires, you know, the Yankees can feel very comfortable uh, that he can be their everyday left fielder and be fine. And Aaron Hicks is, as we've discussed many times, a great center fielder, very he can comfortable. cover a lot of problems. Yes. And then, you know, you have a perennial MVP candidate every time he steps on the field for more than 130 games and Aaron Judge. So, you know, the offense is not the problem. Like, it'll it'll be there. You know, they, I also forgot John Carlo, who was amazing in the postseason. Like, no, I, I it still blows my mind that I still get people in my mentions talking about, well, John Carlo, was it really worth it? He just hit six home runs in what seven games in the postseason? Yeah, no, he was he was fantastic, he was and that's what. Player. Yeah, every Yankees fan wants to say, "We'll do it in the postseason." Well, he did. He did. <laughs> what the else Yan- are you waiting for? The Yankees' record in the last two postseasons, when John Carlo is playing, is I think six and three. Just winning in the postseason. Yeah, that's, he plays. Literally, he sh- all it takes. He shows up when it matters. Now, like if he's not healthy for the regular season, yeah, sure, it sucks. You got to fill in the holes. But as long as he's there, hitting six bombs in seven games in the postseason, he's done everything you want. I think he finished like third or f- I think he finished fourth or fifth in home runs in the postseason. But he played like fifteen less games than everybody in front of him. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it always goes back to this, this mental switch with people who, uh, let's just say they're casual fans. The yeah. People who are casual fans who don't know, you know, you see Giancarlo Stanton in Miami, 2017, he hits, you know, a million home runs in two weeks and the highlights are all over ESPN. And then you actually get this guy and you realize that, hey, he doesn't just hit a million home runs every two weeks. Sometimes he slumps. And yeah, he's got a big contract, but he definitely earned that contract. You know what's funny is I think out like he struggled in 2018 that first like month or two, but ever since then he's been great. Like yeah, the only issue ha- is is staying on the field. And even in 2018, I mean he was playing through Hurt. a lot of injuries that we found out about later in the year, and he still posts 38 home runs, 100 RBIs. Like what more do you want out of this he, guy? I I believe if I remember correctly, they were basically saying like yeah, the last three months Stan pretty much played on one leg. They're like his hamstring was that bad, which is what led to all the issues in 2019. Like they were saying, yeah, these are all like hangover issues from 2018. Like the muscles are just weak because he kept playing line, trying to win yeah. a championship. Which is also the thing that comes back to me with like when people talk about Aaron Hicks, they're like, Aaron Hicks isn't very good. The man sacrificed six, seven months, potentially his entire career if it was worse, to try and win a championship and hit a home run like, off Justin Verlander in the ALCS. Like he oh, did. I was there for that one too. It was amazing. Yeah, it was it was, it was such a great bat bat drop too. Uh but yeah, I mean Yankee fans are ridiculous. But the they have they should have no complaints about the offense. If they re sign LeMayhew the offense is basically what it was in 2020, which was good, a good offense. And if it, they don't re-sign LeMahieu, they could go trade for Trevor Story. They could go sign Andrelton Simmons on a one-year deal and then sign Corey Seager, Trevor Story in the next offseason. Like, whatever. There's options. I think that's the big thing that even for the pitching staff, I like to tell people, too, is, like, it's January, and the market has been the slowest it's ever been. The three big free agents entering this offseason were... George Springer, Gigi Lee Mayhew, and Trevor Bauer, right? None of them have signed. Not uh, one. It's not coming anytime soon either. No, like, you know, the reports of LeMayhew getting a 348 offer from the Yankees, I mean, yeah, sure, that's a little low. Uh, but also, if you're Brian Cashman, you know, he wasn't getting any other offers. Why would you raise it? Yeah, don't like, bid against yourself. It, it drives exactly. us crazy, and, and I think— Looking around the league, I don't know if there's any other teams that are really going to be pursuing LeMahieu as heavily as we are. I mean, the Mets have been no. mentioned, but they have Jeff McNeil. The Blue Jays have been mentioned, but they can probably do better if they spend that money on Springer and keep Kevin Biggio at second base instead of moving him to the outfield full time. Like yeah, they just have other options, and the Yankees yeah. don't really. The if the Yankees the Yankees can afford to bid low, per se, because another big part of it is LeMahieu has a pick attached to him yes. because of the qualifying offer. And teams with the new uncertainty in the draft process right, are probably saying to themselves, I'm not as willing to give up that pick you know, just to like get him on an overpay. You know, LeMahieu is very good, but he's still a pr- approaching mid-30 middle infielder who might not be able to play the middle infield by the end of that contract. Right. Like, that's just the reality of it. And, so yeah, and it's nice be... that he can play the corner positions. But I mean, people have said that the real value comes from having his offense at second base because it's yeah. not a position that you really get a lot of offense out of that. And also getting he's a great defender there, like every other spot. First base, he's good. But like second base, it's clearly where he's the best. Yeah. Like it, it's just there's you can watch it. Then the numbers support it. He's he's a second baseman through and through. And so if all of a sudden, like if you know, you're going to say, I want to pay DJ LeMahieu 
you know, five years, a hundred million dollars. Right. And then, but you're like, yeah, but by the last two years, he'll probably be a first baseman. His value is like, you better hope that those first three years he makes up that contract because getting, getting, you know, high value out of a first baseman, it's just, it's just hard when you're paying big dollars for that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the Yankees, again, as I'm saying all this, I'm still like 95% confident that he goes back. Like it just, it makes too much sense. The Yankee, the, the, if those reports are true, it still makes sense. Like he can be mad as much as he wants, but like if nobody else is coming, Colin, Brian Cashman is just going to sit there and say, what do you like? You got anything better? No. Like, do you want to play baseball next year? Yeah. Do like, you want to play? Like that's, that's sort of, I mean, we're in the, the Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell sort of argument, right? Of Like you can sit out, right? But like, that's no, no, nobody you. else is going to give you this. Yeah. Like, like we'll give like if somebody offers you 464 we'll match it right we'll we'll go to 472 but if you if you're like asking for 5 100 ah, it's just not happening like and frankly like i think the yankees again as i've said there's you could very easily just sign Angelton simmons who is an amazing defender like immediately improves the infield defense that so desperately needs it uh and I think there is some like hesitation to pay DJ just because there is a little bit of like Glaber Torres is clearly better at second base than he is at shortstop. Uh, and playing Glaber Torres at shortstop, you know, it's just a little bit of a risk. And, you know, Urshela is great over there at third. I, you know, he's a, at least above average at the very least, I would say. But Voight is, you know, Voight is Voight. Like he's, he's there to hit, you know, 30 to 40 home runs a year. Yeah, he's no. not really picking it too well. No, no, he's not. And like, that's fine. Like, first base defense is, if you're bad at it, it's not going to hurt. If you're great at it, it can help. But if you're anywhere from, like, roughly average at it, it just doesn't make a difference. Like, that's just sort of the truth. Uh, but the Yankees really just need middle infield help defensively. And so even if they sign LeMahieu, they still might sign Simmons and just, or they might trade for Story. I don't know, you know but... I, I like the idea of trading for story if DJ walks and I'd prefer if DJ stayed because I think he's a perfect fit for this lineup. Uh, but if he, if he walks, I like trading for story instead of waiting for free agency next year, just cause I don't, I don't think there's any real situation where the Dodgers don't bring Corey Seager back as they have the resources the to has keep been him. Traded, uh, you know, the, the, the uncertainty around what they're planning to do with Gavin Lux. Yeah. I mean, it, it like, Ultimate Carlos Correa is a, uh, is a available too, but I, I mean, I, I don't see him coming to the Yankees. I don't think, I just don't think the locker room would be okay with that. You know, yeah. like the, in terms of pure baseball wise, ah, it makes perfect sense. He's a great shortstop, like no doubt, but yeah, yeah I mean, he's just not going to come to a city that's going to hate him from day one. Yeah. I mean, he, he's going to stay in Houston just because like they, they'll want to pay him and be, ah, he can't really go anywhere else. So it, there's that. But all, after all this tangent about the offense, back to the, the pitching side. I mean, today, right, Archie Bradley signed for $6 million with mm-hmm. the Phillies. Uh, you know, that's a, good for the Phillies. They Great deal. They desperately need the bullpen It feels help. like the Yankees should have been in on that. It, it definitely – I think what's going on is, we're, you know, we're talking about DJ. I've been telling people this all along. I think Hal Steinbrenner gave Cashman a budget. Like an oh, he absolutely. Did. I think and, that I think that was an actual report where he said, I don't know what the actual number is. I don't think that was ever reported. I think but Ant Brian Martin Cashman is under that. a budget. Yeah, like he's definitely under a budget. And the biggest chunk of that budget is DJ. 
So he who doesn't want to sign until he realizes he has nowhere else to go. And so Cashman's sitting there saying, like, dude, I need you to sign if I'm going to make moves. Because if I make all these other moves, right, I may not have the money to give you. Because Hal doesn't want it. But if I make all these moves and then you you walk, I may not have the money to go fill the hole that you that you have in the lineup or hole on the roster, right? So Cashman is sitting there saying to himself, I need you to sign so I can do all these other things, right? Because if, let's say he's given a budget this year of an additional $40 million, right? If DJ's taken up 15, 25 of that, right? I, he's not, but like, let's say hypothetically, Cashman's got $15 million to get a starter, get some bullpen help, and maybe some depth, right? That's not a lot of money to do all of those things. Not right? well, not a lot but to if, do it well. But if he can, if he can get DJ LeMahieu for $18 million, all of a sudden, mm, that extra $7 million, boom, there goes Masahiro Tanaka. Boom, there goes Jake Odorizzi. Boom, I'm trading for Joe Musgrove. Right? Like, he can do all these things that start to fill out the budget a little bit more. And then so, you have that line, that pitching rotation where come October, you can look at it and be like, all right, I feel confident in every single one of these guys. So I'll at least get a quality start out of them. Yes. You just, it's not a known quantity with... Garcia and Schmidt, who might be great, and Domingo Herman, who might be great, but you just don't know when push comes to shove if he is going to have that when if you're, you need it the most. I I still think you know if if the Yankees let's say let's say they sign Masahiro Tanaka, uh, and let's say they sign either Jake Odorizzi or trade for Joe Musgrove. If their playoff rotation is Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, Joe Musgrove, Jordan Montgomery, that's I'm a fine great. With that. That's a great playoff rotation. Like, that's arguably the best rotation in baseball right there. That is a great, great rotation. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure to trade for Joe Musgrove, and his market seems to be hot, especially considering the Pirates, like the Rays, don't want to pay people. Um, So I think Musgrove is great. I think he's a definite target. You know, I, I think he can easily be good. And, you know, the other thing about, like, doing that is your sixth man is now Debbie Garcia or Clark Schmidt or Jonathan Luizaga or Mike King or Domingo who still Who still clearly needed time to develop. I don't think Clark Schmidt was ready in 2020. He had no. never pitched in AAA before, but you just really needed him badly. I, I, the other thing I will say about Schmidt is I still really like Schmidt. His curveball is fantastic. I love that pitch. I think it has the potential to be one of the best pitches in baseball. It he spins it for over 3,000 RPM, which is incredible. Uh, he also gets good efficiency on it. He get its potential to get a lot of swings and misses is there. I love that pitch. I think Clark Schmidt is going to be great. But if he's you know my opening day like number three, number four, I would you know I would be saying like I have some problems here. I need to sure things up a bit. Yeah, you know, just, it's not it's not a known quantity. Yeah, you need known quantities. Like that's what the Yankees need right now. Is they just need known quantities. They need to know what they're going to get. And with Tanaka and Joe Musgrove, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get high three, potentially low four ERAs for anywhere from 140 to 180 innings, and they're going to be quality number three, number four guys, right? Like, and then when Luis Severino comes back, all of a sudden it's like perfect. Like I have my main five, and then I have five other guys who are depth pieces and Julius Chastain. He can give you a spot start here and there. They just picked him up last week. Remember two, two years ago, he was the Brewers opening day starter and was fairly good. Like he used to be fairly good. So like he can still do it. And with, uh, uh, everyone's favorite 
wonky throw in Nestor Cortez Jr. back, those maybe yes. those Chad Green uh, Nestor Cortez combo days come back. I remember the I think they did it what like eighteen times and the Yankees. Yeah, we were like had won 11, 11 in a row at one point. Yeah. The Yankees were like fifteen and three when they went to that combo. And like their combined ERA was like three point one or something. It was crazy. Like they were they really good. Be, they could not be more polar opposite pitchers. Oh yeah. Chad Green's like, here's my fastball, come and hit it. Whereas Nestor Cortez, like, I'm going to just throw everything in the kitchen sink at you and you're just going to roll over it to third base. Yeah, from <laughs> different arm slots, different windups. Like, I have everything in my bag right now. You can't touch yes. it. It's, yeah, I mean, it, the, you know, so if they, I think the Yankees can very easily, like, they can easily turn what, you know, what some people are saying, oh, this is such a bad offseason. They can easily, in, in three days, right? Tomorrow we could wake up and LeMahieu's back. And then the next day, Tanaka's back. And then the next day, they trade for Joe Musgrove. And then the day after that, they sign Brian Hand or something, right? Easily, that would take them from having no offseason to having the probably best offseason outside of the Mets. Like, and maybe the Padres. Yeah, and maybe the Padres because they got Blake Snell and uh, Yu Darvish and uh, Kim to play second. But like, a, I love the idea of a Musgrove trade because you know the same thing with the Pirates and Garrett Cole. That analytics department just doesn't know what it's doing. Like they're just so bad and sending him to the Yankees. I mean, we have former driveline guy doing pitch design. We have Matt Blake. Like we can probably get more out of him than Pittsburgh did. I think P- Pittsburgh, they uh going into the 2020 season. I guess they revamped their analytics department. And now I've heard some, from some people that they say it's much better now, but they haven't really had the chance to make too much of an impact yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense to, but you're right. Beforehand, they were awful. Like, they didn't really know what they were doing. You know, they told pitchers to just throw sinkers in and sliders away. And they realized that just like, that doesn't fit everybody, right? Like, it just, it just doesn't work like that for everybody. Um, so Musgrove is, he's sort of the last two seasons has like found himself, found what he's really good at. And he's really good at, you know, just, getting a lot of swings and misses at his off-speed stuff and occasion, you know, his fastball, it's not great. Like, but when he throws it hard, it is good, but he just doesn't throw it hard consistently enough for me to say like, it's a valuable pitch for him. But if he can throw it harder, more consistently, it could be. And I think the Yankees will probably help him with that. Um, but I mean, the Yankees, Musgrove fits what they need and the Yankees just need a dependable guy. Like, outside of Garrett Cole, you need a guy who you can say, I'm going to get 180 innings out of this guy this year, and that's going to help. Like, Garrett Cole's going to give you 200 innings, and everybody knows that, right? Then, uh, you know, if Luis Sever- when Luis Severino comes back in middle of July-ish, right, you hope he's healthy enough to give you, like, 80 to 90 innings. And then from there, you know, Montgomery, you're hoping for 150, 160 innings. Uh, but then after that... Uh, uh, so you don't really know what you're going to get. And the Yankees need that sort of assurance And because pitching has, I give Brian Cashman credit. Like in 2020, the rotation was supposed to be Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, James Paxson, Osir Tanaka, Jay Happ, Jordan Montgomery. Yeah. This was the best rotation in the league coming into the season yeah. before it completely fell apart. Yeah. Like Brian Cashman did his job. Like he did, he assembled a great starting pitching rotation. And then in the, you know, I talking to a lot of people about the trade deadline and the market for starting pitching during COVID because people were saying, Oh, you know, 
we didn't we didn't get bullpen guys, we didn't get help and everything. A lot of people were saying, to be honest, they were surprised as many moves were made as there were. A lot of people were just like, we didn't know what to do. We were kind of hesitant of like, they've only faced one, you know, they've only faced one region of opponents. We're in COVID. Are they going to be healthy? Can we make sure that they're not going to get sick or test positive when we trade for them? Is it safe trading for players right now? Like, is it worth it? Are we like, is this, you know, 60 game season really worth taking a chance on all this? Right. And so there was so much like hesitation from not just the Yankees, but every team like that. It made sense that the Yankees weren't willing to make moves because they said, listen, we have a good enough team to win this year. And they did like, listen, if, if, uh, Rollis Chapman throws a slider instead of a fastball, right? We could be talking about the season in a very different light. You know, that's all, that's all it really takes. It, it came down to one pitch. Uh, or if Gio Urshela hits that ball at a little bit h- higher of a launch angle, right? Like, who knows, right? That's the it, cruelty of baseball right there. That is there. the cruelty of baseball. Like, the team was definitely good enough to win a World Series. I, I, would they have beaten the Dodgers? I don't know. Like, the Dodgers were a great team. They, you know, they had a lot of... Dodgers felt like going. a team of destiny. Yeah, they really did. So, you know, it, it doesn't know. But the team, and still, even after what the White Sox did with signing Lee and Hendricks in the strangest option slash buyout I've ever seen in my life... Uh, and hopefully we'll ever see it in my life. I've never seen an option be the same dollar amount as a buyout. I'll never yeah, get that, it. That was absurd. I kind of hope that they decline the option just to see how it plays out. Well, what's weird is like the option, the, the, the buyout is like deferred payments. And they're like, so it doesn't hurt their luxury tax. The White Sox are never getting close to the luxury tax. No, that's the, like, and maybe maybe they will, though. Maybe now is the time where they're like, hey, like we have this young core. Maybe we go out and sign. Yeah, but maybe just, we got spend another one hundred and ten million dollars. Like that's how far away they are from the luxury tax. And like people try to tell me like, well, you know, they might. And I was like, one hundred and ten billion dollars, though. And so the, the evaluation of the buyout is like a little bit below 15 million because of the deferments. But like. You could have gotten Liam Hendricks for without that weird clause, like no doubt. Like if you had just given him three years and you know thirty nine million with a you know fifteen million dollar option and a four million dollar buyout straight up, he probably still takes the deal. Oh but yeah, like, I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially in this off season where it's yeah. a, players. You have to start worrying about your contract situation right now if you're a player. And yeah. it's just it's it's ugly out there. If I got a contract like that, which is definitely I mean, that, that's a properly valued contract. Yeah, props he to got, his agent. They, I mean, did a great job. Like, <laughs> yeah, he got what he was worth. Yeah, his, his agent deserves whatever he's paying him because that was that was great. Like, good on him. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, the Yankees are still, in my opinion, the best team in the American League. Like, you know, I know what the White Sox have done, I, you know. I expect the Yankees to make moves again, as we said, it's clearly Cashman's just given a budget and he just needs to know how much he's signing DJ LeMahieu for, because he needs to know how to operate within that budget. If his budget is, you know, $30 million, then like, yeah, DJ's going to take up a large chunk of it, right? Like that's, that's just the reality of it is if, if his budget is that small, he needs to know how much he's giving DJ. And so when people are talking about the lack of moves, yeah, it's just because he doesn't know how much wiggle room he has. Does he have $15 million, $25 million, $10 million? And all of that is going to make a huge difference in the types of moves that they can make. 
Absolutely. And he is kind of in a weird dance with George Springer, just because the other two teams that are heavily involved with DJ are the Mets and the Blue Jays, who both want Springer more than DJ. So whoever doesn't get him is going to maybe pick up the pace for DJ, which is why I think we're just waiting it out, waiting it out, waiting it out, and then finally see what happens once Springer signs. I think what what the Yankees might do is like, you know, by this weekend, next early next week, they tell DJ, like, you got three days, like that or that's it like or we're pulling the offer and dj will probably feel the pressure and might sign so you know like again this could all be hogwash we don't know that brian cashman doesn't make announcements public he doesn't talk about deals publicly nor should he that'd be terrible uh you know he'd be losing a lot of bargaining power uh but well, by tomorrow like i said we, we could wake up and it's dj lemay who has signed a four-year 64 million dollar deal to return to the new york yankees that wouldn't shock me right it would make sense. I still think it's the most likely scenario. And I think based once that happens, you will see moves be made in starting pitching. I think Tanaka comes back as well. I think, you know, if they sign DJ for the right amount, they can go get another starting pitcher on the market or they can trade for one. Then I think they have to sign a reliever, you know, they, Losing Canely was rough this year for the bullpen. It, it's clear Canely was like a central piece. Because if you have having three go-to relievers versus having four go-to relievers, it makes a, a dramatic difference. That even affected Adovino too. He used to say when, you know, when we first came over, me and Tommy were getting our matchups. Like what the way I was utilized was based on how we could utilize Tommy too. And you yep. saw that in 2020, he got into some bad matchups and he got fucking ripped for it. Yep. Adovino can't get lefties out, right? But Canely no. could. Canely was really good against lefties because Adovino throws a slider, Canely throws a changeup, and changeups play better as a right-hander against slider against lefties than sliders do. And Canely was a good matchup for left-handed hitters because because of that changeup. And yeah, we saw it in the 2019 postseason a lot. Is Canely would come in, face a few righties, then face the lefty and then as soon as he had faced four or five batters the last batter was always the big lefty and they would go to Ottavino right to set up the matchups and everything and that's honestly that's exactly how you need to manage them uh and so they tried to replace Canely with Jonathan Loisega and I think just giving Loisega an uncertain role just really hurt him like was he starting was he their middle reliever he just like they didn't know what they were doing with him and that kind of hurt um then after that, you know, they tried it with Brooks Kriske. And Kriske's got, or Kriske, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, he's got interesting stuff. I don't, uh, people are, I know, what was it? Brandon Cuddy put out that article about him uh, like two, three days ago about how he's a, a name to watch. And I, I believe that. Um, you know, I was surprised they didn't use Luis Sessa in some bigger spots more. Luis he, Sessa for closer. He's, he, I don't know what it is, man. He's got something in his DNA that just like, he's able to calm himself down and pitch well. And in these big tight moments, I remember in the 2019 postseason they brought in Sessa into some tight situations in that postseason, and he pitched great, like really, really well. He got out of some tough situations. I remember what was it that game six against Houston? He just pitched like two shutout innings with like four strikeouts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's and I got like, he's got pretty good stuff. Yeah, he's got good like his fastball is ninety five. His slider is very good. I think uh, it I think it really hurt him early that he was in a, a competition with Chad Green for that fifth starter spot, and then Jordan Montgomery just comes out of nowhere and steals it. Yeah, that's I, 
that's the guy that I like a lot of success is going to hinge on Jordan Montgomery in 2021. Absolutely. And I, I'll always root for Montgomery. I, I don't remember who it was, but they were taking uh, batting practice or live pitching off him on the backfields in spring training. I'm just saying like, I have never seen anybody hide the ball as well as Jordan Montgomery does. His mechanics are, I mean, pristine. They're amazing. They're so solid. Oh, they have to be pristine if he's throwing 90 miles per hour. Well, that's the other thing is his velocity. He hit 94, and then I think in the it didn't the postseason. I think I saw a 95 in there. At yeah, some he point. ticked it up after uh, was, after surgery. Yeah, I was like, okay, all right. If Jordan Montgomery is going to be throwing 94 consistently, Jordan Montgomery is going to be good, and he was good. I know people are going to look at it like he had a five ERA. Yeah, but he had sub four peripherals on everything. And he had a he had a four percent walk rate. The dude he pitched well. He just got bad luck. And it's and over a, a long se- over a real long season, that's gonna correct itself. Yeah, like like when I was looking as when I wrote that article about him, when I looked at him and I was just like, holy cow! Like he had a sub four FIP, he had a sub four XFIP, he had a sub four Sierra, he had a sub four PCRA. His strikeout percentage was twenty four percent. That's really good, uh, especially for a guy like him who doesn't like naturally induce like a lot of strikeouts um so that was good and then the walk rate being so low i was like man i'm really excited to watch jordan montgomery pitch in 2021 there's a lot to like there and i he but his success like whether he's the three starter or the five starter because most likely with no luis severino on opening day right he's going to be in like the three or four spot depending on the moves that they make right so he you know he's going to need to pitch well while severino is gone yeah, I mean, there's just not really a lot you can do besides hope that he carries over that success right now. And I mean, I love him as a five starter. I don't really love him as the three option out of the gate. Um, but, if you know, your, you see what happens. If he's your five, he's the best five in baseball. Oh, like, yeah. Without a doubt. Like he's a he's a great five, good four, solid three, bad two, terrible ace. Like that's that's pretty much how it goes for him. But like he could very easily be you know, on most, on some staffs, the, the two or the three. And so like if the, again, if the Yankees make moves, whatever it may be, it's very easy to, you know, all of a sudden turn your pitching staff that is relying on a lot of potential into, this is the best pitching staff in baseball. With like, a lot of potential waiting in the wings. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's literally if, again, if all they did was sign Masahiro Tanaka trade for Joe Musgrove and then, you know, just gave either uh, Jordan, uh, well, it would be Jordan Montgomery, either Domingo Herman, Debbie Garcia, or Clark Schmidt, the fifth spot. That's still a, probably a top five rotation in baseball. And then once Luis Severino comes back, it arguably becomes on that Dodger level of good. Like the Dodgers have the best rotation of baseball. The Padres are right beneath them. And then it's kind of like a lot of murkiness, right? There's, there's a, like, the White Sox rotation is okay, potentially good. Twins have a pretty good rotation. Braves have a pretty good rotation. The Indians losing Carrasco hurts that rotation. The Rays rotation is nothing. They don't even now. they don't even have a rotation. They just <laughs> they, have they, a bullpen. They, they have Tyler Glasnow, and then everyone else throws two innings. Uh, that's pretty much their game plan. I, I do I guess, not know how they're going to sustain that over 162. They can't possibly have the organizational depth to pitch. They're, that they're not going to, they're going to take steps back. Like it's just, I mean, it's, 
the Rays are, I don't know if I should be saying this well, I'm still technically in potential for a job with them, but the Rays are incredibly smart. Like I respect their front office so much because they're so smart and their willingness to try anything that works is brilliant. And I love that. However, they only do that because their owner refuses to spend money. Yeah, that's that's, why the teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers are in perennial contention because they have this same approach where they they will listen to the analytics. They'll do whatever the analytics say, but they also go out and they spend money on analytically proven players. Yes, like the the Dodgers game plan in free agency, and it does not – I do not know why people have not copied it by now, is if there is a reliever that is coming off a down year or injured, the Dodgers are saying, give them to me now like that's the that's their game plan because they understand that their market is going to be so low that they can buy low on them and fix them they just did it to tommy gainley yeah yeah, they're gonna look at what blake trinan did right he had a abysmal 2019 right after a great 2018 comes back in 2020 pitches great is amazing in the postseason does exactly what the dodgers need him to do right like and, peop- and they did it again. They did it with Corey Knable. They did it with Tommy Canely. I thought for sure they were going to do it with Archie Bradley. But like, they're, that's just what they do. And they find these low-end buys. They did it with Max Muncy. They did it with Justin Turner. They're going to do it with somebody next soon. Like That's what they do. But it blows my mind that other teams, and to credit, some teams have started to copy on to how they run their team and everything. But it, doesn't, it blows my mind that all 30 teams don't do it or 29 teams, I should say, don't do it. The Yankees do, but the the biggest difference is, like, just teams that spend money are going to be better. Like, if, And it, consistently it, better. Every year they have a better chance to just maintain that, that yeah. roster talent. It's just, it's like, the Rays have been good because their front office is really smart and knows exactly what to do, and they're very good at developing talent because the Rays don't spend money on payroll, but they spend money on ways to develop players, just like the Dodgers do. And, I mean, when they faced up against each other in the World Series, it was literally just the Dodgers versus... It was the Rays versus the Rays with money. That's what it was. Like, that was... And shocker, the team with the money, the Rays with the money won. Yeah, I mean, like... The biggest difference in that series was I thought their pitching was fairly even because, yeah, I mean, the Dodgers had a a much better starting rotation. But their bullpen, the Rays bullpen on paper was just so good that it would keep them in games. But, I mean, the offensive difference was just, I mean, massive. (laughs) And even even in the bullpen, you could tell this is I mean, this is a complaint I had with the Yankees after 2019 when we did a little bit too much of the bullpenning was just. By the time the season is over, if you do this too much, your relievers are gassed. You saw yeah. it with Nick Anderson. He was just he was gassed. He was he was, he was not ready for that. He's just you know Blake Snell was on R two C two today and he was talking about the decision that was his when he got pulled, and a lot of people you know we're still talking about the decision uh, because you know he got traded and everything, um, but I get pulling him. I get leaving him in. I don't think it really makes much of a difference in what happens in terms of the outcome of the game, leaving him in or pulling him there. But going to Nick Anderson was just the wrong decision. Like, that was the bad decision. Not pulling him. Like, it's defendable pulling him. Going to Nick Anderson, that's bad. That's wrong. Like, and, uh, you know, Boone, I remember it was in 2019, he pulled either, it was either Canely or Green. I think he pulled Chad Green brought in Adam Bonavino to face George Springer and Springer immediately hit a home run to tie the game. 
And I remember a lot of people, you know, harping on Boone for that. But because of that decision to pull him, Chad Green was probably able to give a few more innings in that series that he wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Like, that probably saved Chad Green just for, like, another game or two. And the Yankees are sort of going to have to wrestle with the fact that Aaron Boone trusts three relievers in his bullpen right now. It was it was rough in 2020. I don't think he really trusted anyone but Zach Britton at times. Yeah, I mean, Chad Green had he like Chad Green's always going to have like that one outing where just like his fastball oh, he, just, just doesn't explodes. have the life to it. Yeah, yeah he, he just implodes. And then then he, he's going to have you could look at his splits by month and just go you know April you know eight innings pitched one run May seven innings pitched one run June eleven innings pitched six runs. Then like every other month, he's fine. He's just going to have a random blow up just because his fastball just doesn't have the life on it. But he'll be dominant every other appearance. Like he's very good. So they should have no problems. But beyond like Britain and Green, they have nothing to get to Chapman, like nothing to like confidently get him to Chapman. I mean, I like Sessa. I like the guy. I think if your like game plan is like he's our reliever now, that's fine. Like just give him a role. Uh, he needs it. And also stop throwing a damn sinker. Uh then, you know, but beyond like those five, Ottavino's got to figure it out. Like the Yankees need him to figure it out because they're paying him a bunch of money and he cannot be walking the ballpark. Uh, so, you know, again, like the Yankees starting pitching staff, potentially that bullpen is great. It's just as good as it always was. But I don't think the Yankees are in a position where they can be living with potential right now. I think they need to make moves. Yeah, especially with Garrett Cole eating up $36 million a year in his prime. This is the time that you got to be winning some ball games. Yep, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's just it's just time. It, you know, I say this as someone who wants to work for them, uh, well, for any team, um, but is I think there are times where you could ride on that potential and times where you just need to go for it. And in 2017, if the Yankees had this pitching staff, I would say you're fine. Like, don't make moves. Like, ride it with the young guys, right? See what you got. Then make moves if you need to in the middle of the season, if you feel the team is good enough, right? Like that 2017 team going into the year, it was a lot of, there's a lot of potential here, right? You know, Judge, uh, Tyler Austin at the time, Greg Bird, right? Um, then, you know, Gary and uh, Luis Severino, Right. There was there was a lot, a lot of potential for that team. So if they had like Debbie Garcia, Clark Schmidt and, uh, you know, Jonathan, the wise good coming up then. Right. Then, like, it's I think the pressure to make moves is a lot lower. Right. Like they're they're, they're like, yeah, this is a potential filled team. The, the 2021 Yankees like it's not a potential filled team. Like it's it's ready to win now. And that's that's a big difference. Yeah, well, I will say my my qualms about the starting rotation have been quelled. I feel very confident about the Yankees in 2021 now. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, I if I what I would end on is for Yankee fans to be patient. Uh, you know, opening day is not tomorrow. Spring training is not tomorrow. There's still six weeks left. There's plenty of time to make moves. Uh, as we've discussed, there's plenty of options for the Yankees to have. You know, don't feel like you have to be forced into a move to where you don't give yourself any bargaining power. Um, I would also say, like, it's frustrating that owners have budgets for their GMs. 
trust me, like I've spoken to many people who work in many front offices and they're saying like, it's not easy right now. Like it's, you know, when the owner says we can't do this, you can't do it. Right. Like that's just what it comes down to. Um, so I would also say like, just be happy that we're going to get 162 as well. Like good Lord. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly going to get 162. They're planning, telling people plan on it starting on time, uh, which is great. Um, but I would also say to Yankee fans in general is like, I know it looks bleak, but this is still, in my opinion, the best team in the American league right now, depending on how it all shapes out. Right. Like, you know, I think the team closest to them is either the Astros or the White Sox um, or maybe the A's. Uh, but I still think like the White Sox need some more help uh, to get to the Yankees level. And, you know, they also have to face somebody other than the central region pitching for an entire year. So that'll help. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what I would tell Yankee fans, be patient. There's options. Don't worry. Brian Cashman is not going to bet against himself and uh, hope that Garrett Cole repeats his success. Fantastic. All right, so we will wrap it up there. If you're listening right now, go tweet at Steve Cohen to hire Max and remind him (laughs) that he invented his own pitching war statistics. And we'll see you all next week.